have you ever had one of those mornings? You get out of bed late, uh, or you, you, you got to bed late, so you, you didn't sleep well, and then when the, the alarm goes off, uh, the snooze uh, a few too many times, right? And, and then when you finally do get up, you're terrified. And, and as you look in the mirror, you realize that something happened while you were sleeping. It is suddenly confirmed that the dream you had of a truck running over you in the middle of the night may have actually happened. Uh, your eyes are bloodshot. There are little sand thingies in the corners. Uh, there's, a, there's a bit of dried drool on your left cheek. Uh, there's, there's also a deep crease from a fold in your pillowcase that goes from your right eye down to your but that's nothing compared to your hair. Bedhead is a kind term for what is going on on the top of your head that morning. Now, usually upon seeing that sight uh, on, on a given morning, most of us would then proceed to do all that we could to bring order out of the chaos that is looking back at us from the mirror, right? We would uh, take a shower, brush our teeth, comb, curl, brush, spray, mousse, gel, tease our hair, put on some clean, non-wrinkled clothes, all to get ourselves looking presentable before we left the house, no matter how late we were, right? But suppose, just, just let this enter your head for just a second, suppose that instead, upon seeing that mess in the mirror, you turned around and headed out the door. I'm sure that as you went to school or work or wherever you were going that day, people would be giving you odd glances and stares. Mothers would be grabbing their children and running the other way, right? Uh, I'm sure that, that one of your friends or coworkers, hopefully at some point, would work up the courage and, and ask you, hey, what's going on with you today? You don't look so good. And then you'd have the opportunity to respond, yeah, I know. I saw it all in the, in the mirror this morning. I do look awful, you're right. I do, I do. Very few, if any of us, would ever do that. We wouldn't go anywhere knowing that we were a total mess without trying to at least fix it a little bit. And in a second, we're going to see how the book of James in the Bible uses that same scenario to illustrate what it should or shouldn't look like to follow God. Last week, we started uh, studying this little lesson of the New Testament. The author is James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus and one of the leaders of the early church in Jerusalem. In these few pages in the book of James, he describes uh, what, we're, what we've, we're describing as a faith that works. Uh, if, in, in that sense, then, uh, if we do what he writes about here in the book of James, then we will be on track in our walk with God. Uh, it, it works, but, but it also takes a lot of work. So our faith is, is an act of work, and so, uh, so it's kind of a, a double meaning there. James has a no-nonsense approach to life with God. Following Jesus is, is an active thing for him, and it, it, it takes effort and dedication and action, and we're, we're already seeing that uh, on these pages. Uh, several people have, uh, have brought my words back to me uh, from last week, where the words of James that uh, uh, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, right? Because there's always trials to face, and, and, yet, and that takes work. And, and uh, if you didn't uh, check out that message or you missed that one, I'd encourage you to go back and, and do that and catch up here, and, and uh, that would be a, a great thing online or, or otherwise. But uh, it's, today we're Still in chapter one of James, but kind of 
and we're going to find uh, these few verses toward the end of uh, chapter 1 really spell out the essence of, uh, of James's letter. Uh, uh, this little passage is actually kind of the, a central theme, maybe the central theme of the letter. So we're going to go to James chapter 1, verses 22 to 27. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. First off, we see there that uh, the James says, uh, is talking about listening to the word or hearing the word of God need to know uh, that James's audience at the time uh, would have been mostly illiterate. Now, James is writing this letter, uh, and it's the way they, they got things out. You know, these days, we'd be listening to a podcast or watching a video or, or doing uh, some, James, you know, uh, in the central church in, in Jerusalem, but then they had all these, uh, you know, uh, other sites or campuses, I guess, throughout the known world. We would, uh, we would call it that today, I guess, but they didn't have all that technology, so he wrote a letter, and, and there's a really very real chance that he didn't even write the letter, but but some guy that knew how to write wrote the letter, and uh, he dictated it. And then, then there, were, there was somebody, and he, they might have made multiple copies and sent them to these little churches in these towns throughout, uh, through, and would have taken you know weeks uh, and weeks to get there. And then once that church in that little town read that and kind of went over it, maybe made a copy for themselves, the, uh, they'd, they'd pass it on to the next town and the next town. And, and so uh, th- this, this letter would arrive in these, these little churches in these, in these cities uh, across the, uh, the, the known world at the time. And and, uh, and they'd read it in church. Uh, it, uh, this was like James showed up and was preaching that day. But, uh, but these folks wouldn't have read the letter because they couldn't read. There's probably only a couple, a handful of people maybe in the whole town that, that, that could read. And so one of those people would, would read it. And, and it'd be a lot like uh, you know, they didn't have access to read through scripture. They were hearing the word of God that James out there, and, and so if you were in that, in that uh, place, at church on that day, you'd be sitting up close, you'd be sitting on the edge of your seat, leaning in, listening, trying to catch every word so that you could hear, because you didn't want to miss any of it, because this was, this was a special treat to hear from, from the leader of the church. And, and as they're leaning in and listening to this, uh, you'd, you'd hear James's words as he says that we need to treat listening to and following Jesus a lot like looking in a mirror. Now, we also need to know about mirrors back then. Uh, they, they would have been a, a polished piece of metal, not near as... Uh, you know, sharp and uh, 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 an actual, you know, bright uh, picture that we would get today. There also would not have been near as many mirrors. Um, 
I didn't try. I think I would lose count if I thought about all of the places that I could see my reflection uh, from the time I got up today until I got here. Uh, just in my car, several mirrors, right? But you got mirrors in the bathroom, and you got mirrors uh, in the hallway, you got mirrors in your room. You got, uh, we're, we're always looking, we're checking, we're making sure. Uh, that was a, a luxury that they didn't necessarily have back then. Mirrors just weren't all that uh, of common. And, so, and they, they couldn't really see, uh, see a clear, as clear an image as we do, and then you know, if you don't have a mirror these days, uh, you just pull out your phone, right? And you do the little duck lips, and you can look. I, one of our family members who will remain nameless, um, extended family, um, she was always known for uh, after dinner, maybe at a restaurant, uh, she'd pick up her knife and check her teeth in the reflection, right? Anybody ever? Yeah, just her, right, okay, uh, but uh, no, so you got to make sure there's nothing in your teeth, so, so there's a mirror in the knife, and she'd look, well, now you don't have to do that, you just pull out your phone, and you, you uh, put it on selfie mode, and you can check that and see, and, and then we're put, posting all these mirror images as selfies, and so we've, we have a lot of opportunity to look in the mirror, to see what we look like, to make those changes, and, and, and do all that. If these folks that are hearing James's message back then, if, if they, as they are thinking about mirror, they, they would not, I guess what I'm, they would not have had their finger on the pulse of, of how they looked all the time. They, they just didn't, you know, days would go by, maybe weeks before they'd see in a mirror, oh, yeah, I probably need to, or maybe their spouse would come up and say, honey, you really should, you know, uh, change this or whatever, but look in a mirror if they got a chance to look in a mirror it was a treat and then they'd play, pay close attention to what they saw and then they'd act on it anything that they saw that was out of place would have been dealt with that's the context here as they're hearing uh, James's words not reading it but but hearing James's word and he's referring to a mirror and they're thinking about this this uh, opportunity that they have to to look in the mirror uh, James is is describing that that opportunity is is uh, is his illustration of what it should be like when we hear the word of God. The, the blessing of hearing the word of God is a lot like the blessing of looking in a mirror. And when we look, just like when they would look, they would make changes, the same should be true if we look into the word of God and we see that something isn't right in our lives. Instead of ignoring it, we should do everything we can to address it, to fix it. Instead, it seems as though, because James is writing this, it must have been common back then, and unfortunately it is still common today, that, 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 that there are folks in the church who, who are just walking through the motions of a religious life without it affecting their souls. They would hear the word of God, but then immediately forget it and live however they wanted to live. And now I know today that's, you know, that's probably not a problem, right? Everybody is so sincere in their faith and everyone, there's no one who walks through the motions of religion without it, allowing it to, uh, to change them on the inside. Uh, no one feels the conviction of God. No one feels the guilt of sin, but then they just cover it up and push it away and keep living however they, they want to. Nobody, nobody does that, right? Or maybe, actually it might be a little bit worse than that because I think what I, what I see more in the church, big C, uh, people in, in culture today, I, I see many people who don't even bother to look in the mirror of God's word anymore, right? Before we obey God, we have to know what he says, and many people just don't. Biblical illiteracy seems to be uh, very high, despite the fact that, that the Bible has never been more accessible than, than ever before at any point in history. 
inherent in, in James' instructions here is that we have to look into the truth of God's word, to not avoid it. You see, some folks, oh man, I know I'm a mess, I'm not even going to look in the mirror, right? Because it's just going to highlight the problem, and so I'm just going to keep going the other. We might think that ignorance is bliss, but ignorance of God's truth results in living in sin, and, uh, and that sin results in death and separation from, it's a lot like that mirror. God's word is not just for gazing in for fun. It's, it's not for glancing at every once in a while. It's not just to make us feel good, uh, to, uh, to make mugs and t-shirts of our favorite verses and then live however we want. God gave us his word so that it would change us. When God reveals his truth to us, we must do all that we can to live up to that truth. But instead, I think it's true that there's a whole lot of scripture whole lot in scripture that most folks might prefer to just ignore or to forget immediately forgetting what they heard and going on and living life it was it was ludicrous for James to use that illustration of a mirror because that's just that's just not what people did and yet that's how they were treating the word of God and unfortunately that's how many treat the word of God today Using this illustration, James, uh, with, the, with the mirror, uh, also I think makes another point that, that, uh, that, that uh, script, what Scripture says is personal for each of us. When I'm looking in the mirror, I'm not looking at anybody else. I'm looking at me. I'm looking at see how that image, what, what my image looks like and what I need to do to maybe there's a hair out of place or maybe there's broccoli in my teeth or, or maybe that uh, shirt doesn't go with those pants today. And, and so I'm looking at it. So it, it's, it's applicable to me, not to anybody else. <laughs> we read scripture as if we're pointing the mirror at everybody else and, and not necessarily ourselves. We try to apply God's truth to everyone else. Maybe it's a little like the guy who was, had been developing a bad habit uh, uh, and more and more he was staying out late after work and he was going down to the local bar with the guys and, and he was coming back, he was have every, he'd get, have a little bit more to drink, a little bit more and he's coming home drunk and his, his wife was not, was not having it and one night, sure enough, that's what he did and he'd actually gotten into a little bit of a, of a scuffle with, with somebody and he had some, some uh, uh, cuts and scrapes on his face and he came home real quiet trying to sneak in because he knew his wife was asleep. And so he came up the stairs and sure enough he looked in the mirror in the, in the bathroom and, and saw that he was uh, marked up and so he, he decided he was going to put some bandages on his face and try to hide, you know, put the, the cream on and the, the, the band-aids and, and hide what had happened the night before and maybe try to pull one over on her so she wouldn't know. And Yet when morning came he uh, opened his eyes and there was his wife, hands on hips, standing over him and said, well, uh, you, you came home drunk last night again, didn't you? And, and and he, he denied it. And she said, well, if you weren't drunk, then who put all the Band-Aids on the bathroom mirror? Mirrors are there to reveal truth about ourselves. We don't deal with the image in the mirror. We're dealing with ourselves. Sometimes we try to change what Scripture says so we feel better about ourselves, right? Scripture points to truth about ourselves. And we have to see it for the truth that it is evaluate how we measure up to that truth and then make the necessary changes. So before we, uh, we go any further today, maybe your takeaway from this message today is, is that you need to spend time with God and his word. 
being here, watching online, engaging in this service. That's a great, uh, great step in the right direction to be able to do that. There's a lot of folks that don't do that. Uh, but this, this says there's even more to it than that. This, this talks, about and, uh, talks about looking intently into the law of God, the law that brings freedom. The word James uses there in, in verse 25 about looking intently, it's, it's stronger than, what, what, uh, than the word he used for looking when he talked about looking in the mirror. Uh, it it it's, means something more like bending down and taking a closer look. That's how we should be approaching the word of God. We need to bend down and take a closer look. Are you intently looking for the truth of God and, and comparing that to your life? Are you letting him show you where you need to change in order to be more like him, in order to be holy? You will not look like Jesus if you're not spending time with him. One of our uh, questions to live by uh, that, uh, that we're, we, we should be asking every day, do I see Jesus in the mirror? Um, and some of you get a little freaked out by that because you don't want Jesus in your bathroom, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, do I, when I'm looking at that image in the mirror, am I becoming more like, is my character, am, am I being formed to be more like Jesus? You won't if you're not spending time with him and, and you're not spending time in his word. Uh, you will not know what he wants, what he requires, unless you're looking intently into his word. That's, that's first. We, we can't let uh, busy lives squeeze God out, right? Uh, we can't just, just uh, uh, open our Bible up if everything else settles down and we maybe have a little bit of time left over. This is an intentional bending down to take a closer look. Look intently into the word of God. Be intentional. Gaze into, into this image of truth. And then let it change you. It says uh, you, you don't just walk away and forget it. You do what it says. The formula is right there, uh, verse 25. Look intently, stay there, or, or uh, remain. It's talking about that, 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 that you're there um, and, and continuing to stay there. And then once you do and you allow, allow that truth to, to change you, you walk away from that, obeying what you see. Uh, looking intently, staying there, obeying what you see, that equals God's blessing. What is it that he's uh, trying to do? Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, that stays there, continue, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, obeying it, those are the folks who will be blessed in what they do. Looking intently, staying there, remain, continuing in it, obeying what you see equals blessing. And, and I think so many people miss this from... from Start because they're not even looking. In James' day, it was they they looked or they heard the word of God, but then they just kind of moved on and forgot about it. Um, and I'm sure there were there were folks that day that weren't even interested in that either. I think more and more we're not even spending time there. We're not even uh, looking for what God might have to say about a certain topic. We need to be. <laughs> biblically literate we need to know what scripture says the only way we're going to do that is to spend time there day in and day out week in and week out gazing into the perfect law that gives life that gives freedom you will miss out on the joy and blessing of God if you are not spending time with him obeying his word it's like a mirror 
Well, that's, that's the first part of that, of, of that uh, section, and, and it could very well be that that's what you needed to hear today. Uh, there's, there's a little bit more uh, that, that, that ties in as well that we're going to dive into uh, just one verse here in this, in this passage. We're, we're, this this ver, verse 27 is, uh, is actually the primary verse of the whole book. Scholars say that this, everything else hinges on or turns on this verse, verse 27. I, I know verse 26 we haven't looked at. We're going to do that in a few weeks when, uh, because uh, chapter 3 all, deals all about how the words that we use and, and, uh, and, and our tongue can be used for good or evil. And, uh, and, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to tie in that there. We're not going to spend time on that today. So verse 27 is... Uh, is crucial. As I've told you, James's letter is not extremely scholarly. It's not like this big theological, uh, use all these big words. I mean, he uses common language and he talks about practical issues of living life following Jesus. And James was a carpenter's son, not a theologian. We just need to, we just need to know that. And so, uh, James is all about applying religion to real life. It's a faith that works. And it, 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 so the question is, what does real religion look like? James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. What is it? Two parts. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Maybe we could sum up that, that uh, key verse by saying that faith that works, faith that's active, faith that is, that is real, uh, means that we're living lives of passion for God and compassion for others. And so we're going we're gonna to take the uh, passion for God, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We're going to do that, uh, look at that first, and then... And then uh, to uh, look at what it means to be compassionate for others. It says, keep yourself from being polluted. If something is polluted, then it's dirty, right? It's contaminated, and it's not usable. Air that is polluted damages the lungs. Water that is polluted is undrinkable. Soil that is polluted doesn't grow anything. Christians who are polluted are not useful to God. But, but if something that is clean and pure, it's useful and it brings life, right? Uh, air that is uh, clean and pure uh, gives life. Uh, uh, water that is pure is, is drinkable and, and gives life and, and soil grows things. Uh, polluted soil doesn't. And so, so if it's pure, then it's, uh, it brings life. What is it that pollutes us? This says the world. Well, good, I guess I'm just going to go up on a mountain somewhere and escape from the world, and then, then I won't be polluted, right? Well, it, it's, it's, first of all, it's not necessarily relate, saying that, that we shouldn't live in this secular life that we live. It's, it, it's a moral term referring to anyone or anything that is opposed to God's standards, so in John 17, Jesus uh, uh, himself says that, that his disciples are to live in the world but not of the world, right? And that's what James is getting at here. It appears that, that James's audience was, uh, was dealing with some of the same temptations that, that we do, to be so consumed with worldly things that they weren't much spiritual good, polluted by the world. God's plan is that his followers are, are in the world so they can be of use to him, uh, just a couple of examples. Philippians two says that that we're supposed to be blameless and pure, so that we shine like stars in this crooked and depraved generation. Uh, Ephesians two that says that God has created has good works 
for us to do. He created us to do those things. If we're not working for God in the world, bringing his kingdom to come, then, then, uh, then what's the use of us being here? But many of us become distracted and uh, we could say, in essence, we're being polluted. That pollution, the pollution of, uh, of sin and distraction can, can creep in virtually undetected. Sometimes it's very subtle, right? Messages that we hear uh, uh, over, over media or uh, whatever that we consume, conversations that we have, and, and over time it's just real subtle. Just a little shift, a little change from, from what God might say, and, and, and we don't necessarily notice, and, and uh, pretty soon or, or after a while uh, it, it becomes very uh, different than what God would say. It's very subtle. Sometimes it's, we keep it very secret, right? We don't want to admit when there's pollution uh, Jesus said that, that he was the light that came into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. They wanted to keep it secret. They wanted to keep it hidden, and, and we do that as well. We're not, we're not proud of it. There's, there's uh, habits that, that don't line up with a holy life, but we can put on a happy face and, and uh, uh, head out into the world and not let anybody know that, and so we keep those, that pollution secret. Sometimes it's, it's very slow. Right, we can drift away from God over time, uh, allowing a, a little pollution here and there without knowing it. And pretty soon, we we uh, rear our head and realize we're we're so far away from God that we didn't even didn't know. Just a, a little drift at a time. So if it's if it's subtle and secret and slow, we probably won't deal with it because yeah, it's just a little thing, right? And we look in the mirror of God's word and things are mostly fine, so we keep on going. And, and before we know it, it, it our, our lives don't look at all like Jesus and we've hardly noticed because it's subtle and secret and slow. Pollution. But I think the biggest thing that keeps us from being polluted by the world is passion for God. Right? Uh, if I were to ask you what your passions are, uh, you'd probably say your spouse and your kids, and and uh, maybe you'd mention certain hobbies, or or uh, maybe your work, or 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 maybe it's a, a cause that that you're all in with, and 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 you're passionate about that. Uh, and those are all great things. Could your could you answer honestly that knowing God is a is a passion in your life? I hope it is. The best way to not become polluted by the world is to be passionate. For God, when, when we're passionate about something or someone, uh, it, he, she uh, fills our thoughts, fills our schedules, fills our plans, takes our attention. Our lives are changed by our passions. Does life with God fill your thoughts, your schedule, your plans? Is your attention drawn toward him? Or is he an afterthought? Are you even looking in the mirror, looking, gazing, obeying, passion for God. Really, uh, James's language here is, is a pretty sharp, direct instruction. He says, keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And, and we read that, and it kind of seems a little bit passive. But, but, but really, James, uh, if, if you uh, were reading the, the Greek, you would hear it this way. Do whatever it takes to keep yourself from being polluted. It's a, it's a direct, uh, emphatic instruction. Do whatever it takes. Be passionate for God. And that is a huge part of what true religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is. Be passionate for him. It'll keep you from being polluted by the world. But he also says that a faith that works also means showing compassion for others. 
Look after orphans and widows in their distress. It it appears that James knew that the the quest for an unpolluted life can turn into a selfish spiritual existence. Being so tied up in my personal holiness that I don't recognize and care for the needs around me. Uh, Some might call it being so heavenly conscious that we're no earthly good. But people with passion for God have compassion for others. That was at the core of Jesus' ministry, right? And it's been at the core of Christianity. We live in a fallen world where people are in need and God has established the church, the people of God, to meet those needs. And throughout Scripture, there are instructions to do just that. To, uh, to clothe the naked, to take in the homeless, to feed the hungry, to care for the sick and in prison, to, uh, to look after, like James says here, the orphans and the widows. Uh, and, and yet, like it or not, that's a list of folks that a lot of times we end up ignoring or avoiding. And, and it's not an exhaustive list. I mean, James just uses those two, orphans and widows, in verse 27, but, but he didn't just mean only those two. We only have to care for those folks. Uh, but uh, we, we, uh, those were the most vulnerable people in the culture of that day. They were, they were the most needy, and so he used them as an example. But practicing true religion means caring for those who are in need around us. We have to evaluate who the needy people are that God has placed among us, and then evaluate our willingness to care for them. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 25, when we serve the needy, we are serving him. So it just might be true that if people in need don't know you, then it's likely Jesus doesn't know you either. Showing compassion for those in need is usually inconvenient and expensive and messy and underappreciated. And it doesn't usually fit into our well-mapped out plans for life. Maybe I'm the only one that, that uh, thinks uh, my day is going to go this way. And when it goes sideways, I go a little bit rather than I'm going to step into what God would, would, where he's taken me. And yet that's the core of who God wants us to be. Who is God calling you to serve? Again, one of our five questions that we ask, who have I served today? Might be somebody in your own home. Might be somebody uh, that, that lives across the street or down the block. Or it might be somebody at work or at school or even across the world these days. Who have you served today? It's an important part, an essential part of following God. It's faith that works. True religion that is pure and faultless is a life of passion for God and compassion for others. It's vertical and horizontal. James doesn't say one is more important than the other. He says true religion uh, is, is both, both and. That balance has been, uh, throughout history, difficult for people to maintain. Some people focus so much on their spiritual lives that they isolate themselves from the needs around them. Others meet all sorts of needs, but it's, it's uh, what has been termed, I guess, a social gospel without much connection to God in the process, and we're just meeting needs. Either one of those is an imbalance. It's a distortion of true religion. True religion involves passion for God and compassion for others. It takes work as we encounter the truth of God in Scripture. Just like looking in a mirror, we let it change us. We can't be lazy in our faith. We have to do what it says. I heard the story uh, recently of a uh, several years 
before, uh, before we were live streaming things and uh, we're all over, churches were all over the internet and all sorts of things, it was kind of a special deal for a church to broadcast over the, over the airwaves on the radio on a Sunday morning. And yet this one uh, big church was, uh, was doing that and they had a, a special choir that there and, and it, was a, it was a special service and they'd advertised it for weeks and, and the pews were packed and, and a great cathedral and, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of people and, and they, were, they had to time everything uh, right. So the, the choir was getting ready to sing. It was going to be a big awesome deal and go across the airwaves and, and, uh, and, and all sorts of things. And so the, uh, the, the radio announcer had kind of cued things up and talked with the, the choir director and they were on the same page and at such and such a time we got we to gotta do it, right? And, and it's only got to be this long. They worked all that out and they had, all, had it all down to a you know seconds of, of when it was all going to happen and so the announcer makes his makes his announcement and he's he's uh, heard not only in the uh, in the room but also uh, on the radio and and it's uh, being broadcast uh, uh, all over the place and and uh, he does all his introductory remarks and talks about this great special time they have and then then he he caught the eye of the director and and gave him the nod and and introduced him and said his final words and it was ready to go at that same time, the director saw the cue, but he looks at his, uh, his lead tenor who has the t- solo in the first song, and something is going on in his music, and he's flipping around, and he's not ready. And so the choir director doesn't start because they're not ready. Probably just a few seconds. But as you may know, a few seconds of dead air on the radio seems like hours, right, Jonathan? So, uh, so, so uh, in that pause, here we are, great time, and take it away, choir, and there's dead air. And the announcer's a little bit peeved, right? They've worked it all out. This is, this is the way it needs to be. We gotta make this happen. This is... And so forgetting that he was still on a live mic, throughout the, the room and over the airwaves, the announcer says... What he thought was under his breath. Get on with it, you goat. Later that week, the radio station received a letter. But not the letter that you'd think they might have received. Uh, it was from a gentleman whose faith had been stale for years. And, and he hadn't been doing much to further the kingdom of God. And for whatever reason, he'd tuned in from his home on that Sunday morning and turned the radio on. And, and just as he was settling back into his chair with his coffee, uh, he heard a voice that seemed like it was the Lord himself speaking directly to his soul. He heard the words, get on with it, you old goat. The man wrote in that letter that that truly was a turning point for him and he had rededicated his life to, to getting on with it in his relationship with God and to follow him. The old goat was getting on with it. I'm not calling you a goat today. I'm certainly not calling you old, but maybe that's part of the essence of what James is saying here. If you're going to live for God, get on with it. Do what he says. Don't just look into the mirror and then just walk or live your life the way you want to. Do what he says. Get passionate for him. Have compassion for others. That's what true, real, pure, and faultless religion looks like. Will you stand with me? Father God, we, uh, we ask for your direction in our lives today. 
Lord, I, I don't know uh, who, who this applies to except it applies to all of us that, that, that there are always things that we need to, to uh, as we look into your word and we, we gaze into the mirror of, uh, of, of your word and we allow you to gaze into our souls, there are always things that, that need to be adjusted and changed. And Lord, I just pray that, that each one of us would have a spirit of openness and humility to allow you to do that in our lives. Lord, I pray that that, that we would take, that we would the time to look into your word, that, that every day we would have time to open up scripture and allow you to speak to us. I pray that, that, that as you do, that we would apply that to our lives, that we would do what you say. Lord, plant that passion within us. May your spirit stir us up so that we can be passionate for you and and, and open our eyes to the needs around us so that we can have compassion for those that you bring across our path. Father God, we don't want stale religion. We want pure and faultless religion. We want to follow you completely. And so, Lord, I pray that as you are growing us, as you are maturing us, I pray that you would help us in the areas that you're pointing out even right now. We offer ourselves, we offer our lives to you. We pray that you would do your supernatural work within us. Lord, thank you for calling us. Thank you for, for, for desiring to use us in the world where we live. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, that we would go excited and anticipating about how you are going to use us this week to love people to life. In Jesus' name we pray.